there's a better way to answer on-farm questions with AgVisor Pro. Farmers are able to get answers now, not later, from an independent network of some of the best professionals in agriculture. Spend less time searching for those answers. Ask your question on the AgVisor Pro app and move faster and more confidently in your decision-making. Available on iOS and Android, head to the link in the show notes to download the AgVisor Pro app today. Hi, I'm Caitlin Dubin, and this is the Rural Woman Podcast. I'm a first-generation farmer who married into agriculture. Born and raised in a city, I was so unfamiliar with where my food came from, but I was determined to figure it out. Through my journey into agriculture, I saw women who were strong, but humble, often taking a back seat. To me, these women were leaders who deserved a seat at the table. I created the Rural Woman Podcast to share the voices of women in an industry whose stories often went untold. The rural entrepreneurs who live and breathe their work, full of grit and pride. We come here to share our stories, to be in community with each other, to be challenged and inspired, but most importantly, to be celebrated and to be heard. We may not all live, farm, ranch or homestead the same, but we are all connected. We are rural women and our stories are worthy of being told. Hey everyone, welcome to this week's episode of the Rural Woman Podcast. Today you'll meet Dr. Tammy Gray Steele. Born and raised on a farm, Dr. Steele received her secondary education in the rustic and rural community of Wawoka, Oklahoma. Upon graduating high school, Dr. Steele left Oklahoma to pursue a dual education and business career in New York City. Armed with a legal degree she obtained from New York University Law School and the requisite legal business experience she acquired on Manhattan's Wall Street, she returned home to her family farm and started to give back to the Oklahoma rural communities. In 2008, Dr. Steele founded the National Women in Agriculture Association. Today, NWIAA is the largest nonprofit women in agriculture organization of its kind, with more than 70 chapters across the globe. For 15 years, Dr. Steele has been seeking to have legislation passed that will redistribute the balance of power and funding to achieve substantive change in the agricultural sector. The National Women in Agriculture Association's mission is to engage minority youth and female farmers to reach their fullest potential while advancing in the field of agriculture, providing life skills, career opportunities, and the mentorship needed to become prosperous citizens. I am very excited to share this story with you here today on the podcast. Dr. Tammy Gray Steele has been a trailblazer in the realm of women in agriculture and the work that she has done and the work that she continues to do is so important for not only women in the U.S., but women across the globe. So without further ado, my friends, let's get to this week's episode with Dr. Tammy Gray Steele.
Dr. Tammy Gray Steele. Welcome to the Rural Woman Podcast. How are you today? Well, thank you. Thank you very much. I'm so excited to get to know more of your story and the incredible work that you have been doing for women in agriculture for well over a decade now. So for the folks who are unfamiliar with you, Tammy, give us your background. Tell us who you are and how you got your start in agriculture. Okay. Well, as you said, my name, my name is Dr. Tammy Gray Steele. I am a native Oklahomian, born and raised on a farm that was actually um, awarded to my family through Emancipation Proclamation, the 40 Acres and the Mule. So I am a um, offspring or a shoot, if you will, from farmers that Currently still, my family still farm on the initial 40 acres. As I tell people, unfortunately, we no longer have the mule, but we have different mules that come around. No pun intended. (laughs) But um, we still farm the 40 acres. And collectively, my family now have almost 2,600 acres collectively as a family. And they run beef cattle. That's the number one commodity for Oklahoma. Oklahoma is beef cattle. And I branched off to start something on the urban side because my background after I left from the rural part of Oklahoma, we woke up slash Sasaka, Oklahoma is where I'm originally from. I now live in Oklahoma City. I left the rural area after finishing high school, went to college, moved from uh, college to New York City and worked on Wall Street. I'm at, um, law firm there on the Wall Street area and then went to NYU Law School to get my legal degree and finish up with my MBA and all that good stuff. And I couldn't convince my husband that I met here back home in Oklahoma on a visit. I couldn't convince him to move to New York City. Imagine that from Oklahoma. So it was an easy move back, as I tell people, being from Oklahoma meeting a good-looking young man and no children in my late 20s, almost 30 years old, that was an easy fix to move back home. So here I'd be after moving back. I was bored, stiff, working still in the corporate side. I work for an energy company here. It's for the OGE. It's the Oklahoma Electric Company in their legal department with oil and gas contracts. Bored again out of my mind. So I started assisting farmers, even starting with my own family, you know, with with paperwork, because ultimately all government paperwork are contracts. And that's my background, contracts. So I understand paperwork as far as making sure it's executed, how it's all commenced and it's all, all the legal jargon. And working with underserved farmers, that was very intimidating. I saw at conferences that I started attending for like the Black Farmers Association. I used to like help keep their um, registration, just kind of a conference organizer, if you will, at these conferences part-time. And I noticed that there were all male male farmers, but females were there as like, you know, accompanying their husbands or what have you, but they didn't have a voice. You just kind of see them kind of sitting there and the men all had something to say of what they wanted to tell the government, what was wrong, blah, 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 blah. Long story short, I took that message back to a business colleague slash my boss at the time in the legal department. was like, I want to start something for women, you know, specifically trying to help minority women because you really didn't see any minority women at all back then, you know, 2007, 2008 in the ag industry, if you will, especially the USDA doing anything um, 
importance, if you want to say that may be too strong of a word, but anything to bring any type of farm sustainability or just just empowerment to what they were doing. You know, most of these women were widowed that I knew even from my own family. The husbands had died or they were just single women on left with their family farms and properties and were to the point they were just setting on there and not doing anything and making any money. So I started the organization uh, through my boss at the time. He helped me incorporate it. He was like the senior attorney for the energy company. He was like, sure, that's, that's something good. I'll help you with it. So we incorporated and did all the necessary paperwork. And we had our first little meeting in, in my hometown. We woke up. We still have the original picture where it was like maybe less than 30 of us there. And now we are moving forward almost 15 years come February. We are the largest minority nonprofit agricultural organization in the world, literally. So when I tell people, yes, you know, a lot of things went on in those 15 years to see where we are now trying to work with women, men. And now, you know, we have coupled the children with us because women and children go together. And we saw that in order for us to sustain and to really leave our footprints, we had to make sure our children were with us and they actually got exposed or educated on how important it is to be in the industry of agriculture. So that's my personal story. You know, I have a daughter, she's what, 26 now? She was born and raised in the ag industry and no, she did not get her undergrad degree in agriculture, but she is now an economist for um, the USDA in agriculture. So it's kind of full circle. That's amazing. And like you said, a complete full circle and specifically for you for leaving the family farm to go off and work in the big city and do all of these big things to come back and make big things for yourself after that. Growing up on the farm, did you ever envision this being what you would be doing? Never in a zillion years, <laughs> not even in my early 20s, did I envision, you know, doing community work. It was, you know, such a corporate ground. When you come from a small rural background, as I did, you know, your thing was to, you know, make it big, you know, be this corporate and all that. And I did that to, to a degree, but now I have nightmares about going back to that lifestyle. You know, that's really not who I am. And I didn't know that goes to show you how, and I try to, you know, tell you, you really don't know who you are in your 20s. You, you really, really don't. So I tell them just, you know, enjoy them and embrace it. But, you know, I wouldn't trade my lifestyle right now for anything. Right. Yeah, I can definitely relate to that. And like, very true. You cannot judge your how your life is going to turn out in your 20s by any no, means. <laughs> not at all. Not at all. <laughs> so... Tell me about growing up, you know, on this farm, what were the roles and, you know, the visions that you had for women on farms and what were they doing rurally that you looked up to and what you saw as what a rural woman was to you? Well, I saw women on their farms that they had an asset and I'm thinking, I want them to to hold on to that asset, to pass it to the next generation, to their offsprings. Um, they didn't realize what an asset they had as being um, just landowners and what they could do with the land. So what we did, and I say we, my team at the time, we went in and started researching and finding resources with the federal government. 
even starting with our own local um, Department of Agriculture, Oklahoma Department of Agriculture at the time had grants, and they still do, for individual farmers to access some resources anywhere from 5000 up to 10000 And it was much lower than then. I think at the time then it was like 1500 to 3000 when we started getting these mini grants, if you will. We started getting grants literally doing the paperwork for the, the farm women and giving them that asset and letting them diversify from what they were already doing. Like starting, we started peach orchards, blueberries, blackberries, strawberry farms that with these women. And they were excited because they were like, wow, you know, we could really do. And it gave them something to be proud of. So just being able to help them develop their farms and make an income and just be a part of society where they felt that they weren't, you know, they were just kind of sitting there wilting away, basically, because no one was paying attention to them, especially as being a minority woman. And that's another hurdle that I always tell people, yes, I'm a woman, but try to be dual minority. It's really tough. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and it's funny to me, you know, as as women, we think that unless we are contributing something bigger to society, then we're not doing anything. And as we spoke about before, uh, we hit record, when I came into agriculture, I had no idea what women were supposed to do on a farm because, you know, what my grandmother-in-law versus my mother-in-law did on the farm were completely different, you know, to each their own. They are contributing something and whether that's to the economy, they're growing food with their own hands, or they're raising the next generation to take over the farm. Like there's so many different ways and avenues that people can be contributing. And there's obviously people who hold higher value to some roles versus others. And I think as women in agriculture and rural women, like we face that a lot of what is valuable and we are told what is valuable versus knowing ourselves and what we're doing, if it's valuable or not. That's right. Yeah. So I want to go back to 2008. And this is when you founded the National Women in Agriculture Association. You know, when I, I actually had to take the calculator out to see how many years ago that was, because, you know, when you say however many years ago, when I say 10 years ago, I still think it's 1990 something, right? But that relatively was quite a long time ago. And, you know, I think there has been some progress made for women in agriculture. There's obviously still a long ways to go. But what were the first reactions when you founded this organization in the agricultural community and in the rural community? What was the reaction to the folks of having an organization specifically for women? There was some resistance. Basically, I was kind of shunned off as, yeah, you could do a conference. That's what they thought I wanted. You know, oh, sure, we'll give you some some buddies or some donations to host a conference. And that was kind of, they thought, do a conference and it's over. And I said, no, I said, not with the audience that I'm trying to reach that. That's not enough. If you're like me, if you go to a conference, you go by and you get all the cute chip clips and the chapsticks and all those wonderful things. And you rarely look back at that information, if you will. And I do that. And, and I, I'm educated. So I understand, you know, a person that isn't, you know, they don't really understand all that paperwork that you receive at a conference or even just sitting there listening, you know, it's so much of that they're going to be able to grasp when, you know, they're a speaker up there speaking about different programs. 
So that was like kind of the pushback. And I was also told that what I wanted to do in Oklahoma would never work, that I would have to go national because being a minority woman, that would be very difficult to start an organization like what I wanted to establish. And, and at the time I was young and green and I, I took a very, you know, I was a offended by it. You know, I thought, oh my goodness, how could you say something? That's just horrible. And now every time I see the gentleman that told me to do that, I hug him real tight, said, thank you, thank you, thank you. And, you know, like to go national. He said, Taylor, you have to go national. You cannot, you, you won't get any funding here in Oklahoma with what you want to do. And sure enough, that's what I saw has changed. I am respected enough across the United States uh, on a national level, even more so. Women, we were not even, as far as minority women, I could just say, as far as Black women, we were not even on the radar or not even counted, if you will, as a farmer until our organization was established. Like with the USDA, uh, NAC, NASS, NAS, National Agriculture Statistics Services, uh, we were not even like included at, in the count until our organization, you know, came about. So I could say that we brought about that change, that we are human, we are here. And our organization is very diverse. As, as you would go out to our website and see, we have all nationalities. We would have men as chapter leaders. So we wanted to make sure that we had a space, well, I did, for everyone. You know, because again, can't, that's the way God made it. It's where all of us are different, but we are all of one of the same. And giving women a voice, and helping them help the land is what I really wanted them to have and be able to pass to their children. I think it's really, like, to hear how far you've come is is absolutely inspiring to me because I think, you know, there's so much further that we need to go. And I like how you mentioned that, you know, you include men in the mix of things. And it's funny because I myself, and I'm, I'm sure you've gotten this pushback before, there's sometimes that people can get really like, I use the term butthurt, but you know, they're upset because, you know, well, you're excluding men from these conversations. But in reality, women and specifically minorities weren't even included in the conversation to start with. So yes, we had to start things like women in agriculture and the minorities farmer network and all of these things because they weren't even included to start with. And now that they've gained traction and their success to be had, then it's when the men come in and say, well, what about us? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, definitely. Right. So I always, I always uh, get a good chuckle out of that. My favorite thing, Tammy, is when I get the email requests for, for men to come on the Rural Woman podcast to share their stories. And I kind of, kind of scratch my head. I'm like, you know, I'm not a man hater, but uh, the title <laughs> should tell you something. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> well, we find it that men, no matter what, they come in, they want to be a part of it because it's something that is definitely, if you have the right infrastructure, and again, I'm far from, I should say far, I'm, I'm, I'm much closer than I used to be of having the infrastructure that I envision, but they think that they could just do and you know whatever they want to try to make money from us, basically, when they come in. And um, I, I'm dealing with a, kind of a situation like that. Like, you know, 
I've been doing this for almost 15 years and then this bell pops up and, you know, he just kind of want to take the lead. You know, you're a chapter leader, chapter leader and you need to follow procedure. And you, he has an organization of his own, but he can't get the traction, um, if you will. So he wants to, you know, adopt or grasp my capacity to try to make money. And I'm like, no, you have to get in line and you have to go through our procedure. And that is where they kind of, you know, I guess they kind of get their panties in a while, in a while. <laughs> butt hurt. <laughs> yeah. That, what, what did you call it? A butt what? Uh, I call it butt hurt. So. <laughs> a butt hurt. Yeah. Exactly. That's exactly what it is. I'm like, no, you got to go work for it. Yeah, and, exactly. And, you know, it's like, and it's a women's organization. So what you're trying to pull, it's, it's not, we see what you're doing. So luckily I have a great board and I have men on the board. So I'm able to push him off to those men to talk to them. Right. Yeah. You know, protect me. Yeah. And I think it's so important. And it's funny because I've had conversations multiple times. Like obviously, no, I don't interview men on my podcast, but I encourage men to listen to it only because it's a different point of view that isn't spread far and wide they might learn something. And when we're talking about like organizations and doing work in conferences, even like the information that we're sharing, sometimes, you know, it might fall on deaf ears for men, but then there's a lot of times where I get to have the conversation that they've listened and they've heard what women have to say, and they just didn't realize the disconnect there in agriculture specifically. They they just didn't think that it was that big of a divide or that big of a gap. And it's always interesting to me to hear what the feedback is from men specifically, whether it's through my podcast or whether they've attended a Women in Agriculture conference or listened to something different than what they normally hear. Most definitely. Yeah. Most definitely. You have heard me tell you all about the amazing benefits that come along with being a patron of the Rural Woman podcast through Patreon, but I wanted to share with you a few testimonials from the patron gang themselves. Patron Bev and Sam from the Drink and Farm podcast write, we love supporting the Rural Woman podcast because farm stories matter. No matter how or why you farm, your story has the potential to inspire, give new ideas, and bring a different perspective to another human. And those are the gifts that keep on giving. Our stories are what allow us to connect, celebrate, and grieve with each other, supporting that brings our hearts joy. Plus, we think Caitlin is pretty awesome. Join the ladies from the Drink and Farm podcast in supporting the stories of women in agriculture through the Rural Woman podcast starting at $2 a month on Patreon. Visit wildrosefarmer.com to learn more. So talk to us about the mission and the vision for the National Women in Agriculture Association and what what your organization does for women in agriculture and rural women and children. Well, the way we're structured, every chapter we incorporate and make sure they have all the necessary paperwork to go for funding, for grants, up under our umbrella. Say, for instance, Texas Women in Ag. We file it all here at headquarters, which is in Oklahoma City, where I'm located, no matter where they are in the world. We'll make sure all that paperwork is in order for them because, again, it goes back to our very beginning, our very start of our mission to help women be properly, professionally structured their businesses. 
So we try to make sure that it's done out the gate for them so they could go for resources in their state or on a federal level. That's part of ensuring that they have resources, if you will, that will help them help their properties or their their businesses individually, as well as their community. Because whatever they're doing, that's the caveat with organization, I guess, that makes this kind of unique. You hear of women in agriculture conferences every day across the world. However, what makes us unique is that we help women help each other. You know, yes, you're doing something like even if you get grant money, you could do a project on your property, but you have to understand you have to be able to have people come out to learn from that land on your property. So everything is an educational piece that you're sharing with other people. So that's how it keeps growing. They have to um, have at least four meetings, one every quarter. That's four meetings a year, a minimum. And in between that time, you're doing what you enjoy doing, what you, whatever your agriculture business may be. And some women don't even have a farm. Like I have urban women that run their chapter and they just go and do community garden stuff or they go work inside of schools or, you know, they do all, they have farmer's markets. They don't even have a farm per se, or even a backyard. I have a chapter leader in an urban area that she lives in, in an apartment building for senior living, a senior living center. So the, that's what our organization is all about, helping women leverage resources to run their farm operations. We are trying to become a, a funder, if you will, a grant funder. So I would be able to give grants to women all over the United States, whoever, whomever is helping with children. That's the, the piece that will come with that. Any underserved child that wants to get involved in agriculture, we want to become a pilot program to 4-H and FFA for at-risk youth. So therefore, every child will understand how important it is to be involved in agriculture on every, as on every aspect or level of their life, from the time they're born to the time they die, on this earth, you are tied to agriculture. You always be able to make a decent living if you stay consistent. And that that's a piece that we, that comes in with the educational training. And I've been blessed to be uh, named in the Smithsonian Biochemical Science Smithsonian in Washington, D.C. I just found out um, a couple of weeks ago that my teachings from for you is going down in history. So I was pretty excited about that. <laughs> That's amazing. It really is. It really, you know, I never, again, envisioned this at all. Um, so it, it definitely is a divine intervention or a God thing that I tell people that he gives me vision every day. You know, every, if I'm at home laying around, if I see something on TV, I'll put it to my notes. And then some way it'll come out in an innovative way to make it relate to underserved people so they will understand it, you know, break it down in layman's terms or make it innovative like our hip hop producer program. That's a program that I know that in my culture that our children are into hip hop. Don't ask me what they say or what they do. Like I tell some of the youth that come to work for me or in my programs, I love hip hop as long as they don't have profanity, you know, you could play it or whatever, if they're in the gardens or we're like having like just a fun time, you know, there's, that's fine. Same thing with the Junior Agrodiva Education, the Jade program. That Jade is named for my daughter. My daughter's name is Jade. And that's the Junior Agrodiva Education. And we are trade name is called Agrodivas because, again, women, we're, we consider ourselves diva. We're in agriculture. And the whole piece that I always tell people, 
the marketing side, I always try to carry myself. You know, I tell people on the outside, I'm totally urban. You would not even affiliate me with a farm if you saw me. But it's a marketing tool for the next generation to see someone as something attractive to them that I want to be like her. You know, I don't want, you know, I, you do this in ag, what do you do? That That's a marketing piece. And that, again, is one of those tools that the next generation or the generations behind myself or next to my generation, they understand opposed to the older generations. And that's kind of the pushback that I get sometimes. Like, she had on all those nice clothes. And I said, baby, I've been wearing nice clothes since I worked on Wall Street. So, you know, I just brought it out in ag. So. <laughs> right. Well, and when we think about the stereotypes of what a farmer looks like, you know, if if I'm walking through the grocery store, there's people who don't think I'm a farmer. And because I'm not a middle-aged man who has overalls on and all of these things. But, you know, if we are going to attract the next generation into agriculture, we have to meet them where they're at in some respect. Because, and especially if there's kids on farms now who don't have any you know, they don't have a desire to continue farming on their family's land. Well, somebody has to. And it, it might be the kid that you sit next to in your school that, you know, has never been on a farm in his whole life, but, you know, has the desire to grow things or loves fixing things or like just thinks outside the box. Like we have to get new people into agriculture. New people. Exactly. Yeah, that's so great. Yes, ma'am. That 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 I love the way you say new people and to get that that whole piece to the leadership, the older leadership that's there, that is probably the biggest hurdle or the barrier that we have is making sure or trying to push those barriers over, like, look, we're doing something different that is working. And I guarantee it works because we're 70 plus chapters later. Right. Something we know it's right. So it doesn't take a rocket science. Well, maybe it does with some cases. <laughs> but <laughs> it, it's just one of those things that until they let the next generation of people come with new ideas, we won't grow. And that that's the thing. And we need to grow because we have to grow literally. <laughs> yes, exactly. All of all of the puns of growing. We need to do all of those. <laughs> Most definitely. That was going to be my next question for you is how many chapters are there of the association? And that's amazing. Over 70. Yeah, I think it's 71 or 72 now. Um, I'm looking at my assistant here. It, literally over the holidays, we grow. Because I have a certain uh, marketing piece that I do over the holidays. Because if you're like me, you're basically looking at your phone or at your laptop or your, your note or whatever, notepad. And you're watching, you know, different social media things. So I do a lot of marketing of the organization doing like the Thanksgiving and the Christmas holidays. Some people are like, you know, let's take, this is what a male told me. Let's take a break. I said, no, that's what you do. This is what makes us unique. I do marketing and I put things out there while the holidays are going on so people could see who we are because they have time. People are off work. You know, sometimes people just amaze me where they think they know what they're doing. And I'm like, um, okay, so leading you. <laughs> but I mean, it's just common sense. If I mean, if I'm laying around watching my phone, I guarantee you several people that it's more um, social media activity that went on this weekend than any work week, period. That's just the way life is designed. 
So trying to make sure that we got out there and show what we're doing, what's going on, because we have events coming up. Uh, my point was the 71, 72 chapters. I'm sure we've grown. If I go back and look at it, people hit our email. They hit our, we have an app now, uh, Women in Ag app that Apple and Google has approved. So people could download it and get all of our different uh, programs, USDA programs, grant programs. You know, everything is there. And, and if you're like most people now, people look at their phones while they're doing the computer. So I told them we have to have an app. So our app is really jumping. And that's what made us go up to like 72 chapters yeah. in the United States. Now we have 14 over in Africa. And that's Nigeria, Africa. We have some pending in other parts of Africa, Ghana, Uganda, we are looking, uh, Greece has also reached out to us, Vietnam, um, where else, Thailand, that these are like chapters that I'm planning to open up hopefully really soon. It's just that my life, what it is, is that I'm so busy that I'm, I'm trying to bring it down to like during the week, I have my, my set schedule and I'm trying to get to international pieces that we have. Yeah, that's incredible. That is so incredible. And to think, you know, 15 years ago, the pushback that you got for women in agriculture, and here you are today, a global leader for women in agriculture. So congratulations on that. That's amazing. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. What do you think are some of the biggest barriers? I want to, this is a two-part question. So the barriers for you as a woman in business, for women in agriculture, for your National Women in Agriculture Association, what are still some of the biggest barriers that you face on an organization level? And then the next part of that question is, what are the barriers that you see women in agriculture face on a day-to-day -day level in their operations? As far as an organization, the barrier that I have is leveraging resources sustainable or larger sums of resources that male groups receive and our organization does not. And it's a great example. There are some press releases out there right now where we had to bring awareness to leadership and including trying to reach our president where there was some rescue plan money that came down and our organization, not one female organization was selected for the funding. They were all male groups and some of the groups hadn't been around less than four years. So that's a real slap in my face as far as, and of course I brought it to the fort, you know, I brought it to press. I was like, this isn't fair. It was, it was for underserved farmers or farm groups that have actual um, footprints or be able to reach several underserved farmers. Well, who could reach them more than, than our organization? And that's one of the main barriers of having the same, being able to leverage the same funds or not more funds than men groups, not the good old boy system. And one group that I know that two groups, it was a husband and wife team that just because they said they received the money because hush money, because they make a lot of noise and, you know, and, and I'm like, really? So that's one of the barriers. And as far as individual women, what I see for a male farmer is able to go in and get resources, even on a state level, it is twice as hard for a female farmer to get it. Um, they, I, I've, I've literally had to help 
individual farmers with their paperwork to just try to get some type of grant fundings. That it is very few. I always tell people that's the, the the benefit of joining an organization because individual farmers do not receive large sums of money. It's just not designed like that. Grants are not designed for individuals. Grants are designed for big groups. You have to make big impacts to receive big money. You could get like the smaller grants maybe that they have. Like one grant I know of that for three years you get up to like 15000 which is like $5,000 a year for three years. That's probably the max, the largest individual farmer type grant that you could receive. But it's so hard for women to receive those grants because... I say just because they're a female, they don't feel like they have the male power, the manpower to do the work. And I'm sorry to tell them, but I've seen more female farm projects that are neater. They are more structured as far as paperwork in today's society. Now, I'm not speaking 2008. Now that you have the new generation of farmers and people that are coming aboard, they understand it better and they're able to implement it. that those are some of the barriers that I, I really feel sorry for women uh, when it comes to what we do in the agriculture industry. Because in all honesty, I don't think the ag industry would be where it is today if it wasn't for women. Absolutely. If you really want to look at it, if you take it back to the beginning of time or, you know, even, you know, back in, you know, the early 1900s, even before then, Women were more of the, the uh, harvesters and the gatherers of food. Uh, the men went out to hunt the food, but the women were the ones that prepared it and made everything organized to feed the people, their families. So Yeah, it's, it's really interesting to me to see, like I've said, how far we've come. But at the same time, when we're going back to it and when it comes to dollars and cents and, you know, being treated equally it's it's just not there it's not no but i want to flip this question on its head again and say what have been some of the biggest wins that you've had for yourself and that you've seen women in agriculture as a whole have over the last 15 years well just to be where we are now we get literally right now we are not even receiving a fourth of and i hate to go back to the to the hurdle or the barrier part being the largest minority nonprofit organization in the world, you would think that would be on world news, right? Like that's huge. And it's not even heard of. You know, it's, it's so hard to get that out there. And I'm constantly trying to get my team. And I'm working, luckily this morning, I just got a, a telephone conference with a um, Congresswoman's office, and they're going to help with some of that push to get it out there in mainstream so that they know what women have accomplished. And, and as far as just being able to receive the resources that we have here lately, not that it's been this way always. Like I said before, I've seen male groups get the same money, if not more, than myself and do less the work. They have only like two conferences the whole year. And all year I'm doing something. And literally I do outreach every week. I do a po- I'm not a podcast, well, you know, a talk show. Uh, which is like a podcast I do every Wednesday. It's called Women in Ag Wednesday. And it's just another outreach tool with what I receive resources for is outreach. I just find innovative ways to deliver it because I'm opposed to the same workshop going to a conference. Now we have our national conference, which is coming up in February in Tampa, Florida. I move it to a different state every um, year. But those are some of the, and, and it's huge. 
those are some of the positives that I see that women are able to come out and have a voice and they, they, they come out of their shell, if you will. And at our conferences, we make it really foofily. You know, there's pink everywhere. There's it's blinged out. We have a, a garden party, if you will, the day before. It's kind of our opening ceremony where we do all of our business stuff. We let all of our top leaders come in and talk about their programs and what they're doing with women. And we let women, you know, speak and talk about their programs. So being able to highlight our women at these, these different events, it really helps them. And that's a positive as well as we have a veteran women in ag conference. We did our first one in July of this year. That was a huge success, a national veteran women in ag conference where veteran women in agriculture are highlighted. So those are some of the positives that we're able to bring and just to see them smile and know that they're, they have someone to talk to. You know, sometimes I get calls of women just bidding where they've gone to their county, uh, extension offices or government agencies that's supposed to help them and they don't. So I'm able to connect them with some of the higher leadership that I work with personally, literally, because I work with higher national leadership and that helps them. So that's a positive and that gives them hope. Yes. And those are just such feel good things because I don't like, and they just make you feel good. And and it doesn't matter, like, if you're into the pink or the bling or whatever it is, right? Like, it's fun. And, like, we can have – our jobs are really hard. Like, we go through a lot of crap to grow food and to support people who grow food. So to be able to sit back and, like, look at what we've accomplished and what we can do in the future, like, I think it's it's so fun and it's so needed because I think we just need to be able to look back and reflect and celebrate what we do. So that's amazing. Most definitely. One of the other positive things that we have happening, I have started, I opened up a Sustainable Science Academy. I opened in 2014, and we are now uh, reopening pre-COVID, hopefully the first of the year. And what it is, it literally starts our babies off at six weeks old. It's a childcare. It's an agriculture childcare that starts from six weeks old, and our programs take them all the way up to 18. So again, but the, the resources that I'm trying to go for with Congress are sustainable resources so we could have these sustainable science academies all over the world. So you're literally, you, you have the children starting at an early age, but also I noticed the parents really get involved in agriculture. Even when they're walking into our academy, they're, they're able to harvest food or they're able to take the food from the playground area where the children grow their own food. It's just more intentional, innovative education. Absolutely. Well, and to start them from from babies, right? Like it, it's so important because, you know, if you don't grow up in agriculture and you're not around farms, you have no idea where your food comes from. And food is power. Like if you're able to grow your own food or be able to provide food for your family, like those are those are your basic needs. So to be able to cover those and to teach children from the age of of six weeks old all the way up until when they're adults. It's so, so important. Some other important work that you are doing that I want to highlight is a bill that you are working on for from your organization and f- on a national level. So can you talk to us more about that? Bill, I kind of alluded to or spoke about, it is to become the first Black congressional chartered organization ever in America's history. What does that mean? Congressionally chartered organizations, those are organizations that receive funding 
forever, no matter what, because that's what Congress written, wrote into law. Some of those are like you've heard of, like Boys and Girls Scouts, United Way, 4-H and FFA. Those are, and those, 4-H and FFA are the most unique and well-respected uh, agriculture groups for young people that I think every child deserves to have. We need those, especially in the underserved communities with all the debts and crimes and poverty issues, even more so we need to bring. So that's what I'm trying to become a pilot program to those groups, not, you know, messing with their funding. Uh, the research has been done. There is more than enough funding there for me to do what I'm asking to do without ever even touching, you know, those fundings. And we will re receive those sustainable fundings forever also. Is a pilot program to 4-H and FFA, a congressional chartered organization that then I'm able to give grant fundings to women leaders like myself or similar to that do things in the community, but also assist children, underserved children. And that's just, that's how simple it is. You know, it, it would be a small competition, of course, and, and a screening to make sure they're doing the work and consistently they have children and, you know, really teaching the curriculum and things like that up under our umbrella, but they will also, you know, receive funding, which will help them, you know, take care of their families as well as start and develop new farmers. So. Right. And that's what we need. That's what we discuss. We need. Yeah. That's what we need. And it's really, really simple, but they make it really, really hard. So for 10 years, we've been working on this. The former chairman of the agriculture committee for the United States Congress Mike Conway, he brought us to the congressional check table in 2013. So here we are almost in 2023, which is 10 years. Later, we are still asking to be heard and seen on this issue. And luckily, this president, President Biden, and as I just this morning kind of got, well, I did get a commitment from a congressperson's office that said, hey, we're going to reach over and speak to the executive team over at the White House, as well as the USDA leadership to try to help you all get this meeting so the president can see who you are and what you've all have accomplished to try to help your children and women farmers. So right. I'm excited. Fingers <laughs> crossed for you. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> they have been for so long, but I, th I have a good feeling with this one um, because she is a female and they really, you know, everybody wants to have their name left in history some way when they're in that political realm. And we give the right congressional person who really wants to really go down in history, we give them a platform. You know, it's right here. The work has been done. You know, we just need you to lead us to try to get this thing, you know, written into law. Yeah. For the listeners who are hearing this and want to support you with this bill, how do they do that? I, Before we hit record, I uh, gave my ignorance of American politics. So you tell me, what do people need to do? <laughs> we are really simple. We have an actual link um, that they can sign a petition out on our website at nwiaa.org. There is a petition, and this is for women and children. Again, it's not a color issue or race issue. We are very diverse. This is for women, farmers, and children. The Women, Farmers, Equity, and Inclusion Act. I'm making sure that women and children are receive equitable and inclusive resources forever like everyone else. And again, it helps the world to be a better place. So just sign the petition. And of course, if they have a congressional member, in the United States that they would like to support the bill, 
please, by all means, get in contact with our office through our website at nwia.org. If you put in there that, you know, you have a congressperson that would help us, just get in contact with us and we'll get them the literature and just give us a letter of support for sponsorship. That's what we need. Amazing. That is so good. And I will link all of those in the show notes so people can find them and connect with you and connect with the right the right people that need to be connected with. So, Tammy, what are uh, the future plans for NWIAA? The future plans, of course, is to have sustainable science academies all over the world. Uh, that's one thing I want to accomplish that we will have uh, wherever there is poverty and wherever there is hunger, I want to have a sustainable science academy in those areas all over the world, just not in the United States, to become chartered, congressionally chartered, the first black congressional chartered organization. And I have to say black with that because there has never been ever in America's history, which is crazy to me that I'm the only one in America who's ever questioned why not. Is, is that not crazy or what? And I, it's wild. <laughs> and I sometimes I ask God, I'm like, God, really? <laughs> you know, like, you pick me right. for this? You know, and I pray about it constantly. And it's in his timing. I know it is. But I have, to my knowledge, no one else has ever even challenged to become a congressional chartered organization. And I'm asking the President Biden to make history and make it happen because he speaks of equity and inclusion. Absolutely. That is wild to me. And I'm, <laughs> I'm so grateful to be talking to the one, the one who is making these changes. Oh, <laughs> I'm grateful for you as a leader and as uh, to be on your talk show out in Canada. Who would have known <laughs> that you would have picked me up and I'm like, okay, Canada. <laughs> Very privileged. I've been there. On a visit, when I go up to Michigan, I kind of cross over. I've crossed over and gone over. Yeah, we're right there. The <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm sorry. It's really neat. It's, and it's quite different, believe it or not. You know, it is. <laughs> My last question for you is, what is the most rewarding part about being a rural woman and helping rural women? Just that last part is being able to help. That is the most rewarding part of my career is when I'm able to help someone live a better life. If that by means of resources, food, pass it to their children, you know, sustainability and just being a piece or, or a voice for women to have a place, you know, in the agriculture industry is the most rewarding for me. Second rewarding is being around children. I love children and I just think that all the children deserve to have equal opportunities in life. No matter what economic or socioeconomic background they come from, they can't help what they're born into. So these safe, safe havens that I'm trying to create through sustainable, sustainable science academies across the world, that's just what they would be. This would be a safe haven when they come. We roll out the red carpet for our children. We want to set up trust funds for them. Uh, that they stay in a program for three years when they turn 18. They have a little nest egg to help them in college or whatever they want to do in life. You know, that there's something that they stay consistent at that we reward them. Yeah, that is so good. So good. You are a trailblazer 
for rural women. And I thank you again so much for being here today and sharing your story and more about the National Women in Agriculture Association. For the folks who would like to connect with you after the show, where can they find you online? Sure. I'm online everywhere. <laughs> if you Google my name, of course, but we have Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, we're on YouTube, all of those platforms of National Women in Agriculture or NWIAA. Excuse all the congestion. I'm so sorry. I'm just You're good. I'm trying to <laughs> get through this. But that or through our website at nwiaa.org. I also have a personal website at drtamygraysteel.com that you could get in touch with me. And yeah, it's just however you want to get involved. You want anyone want to participate at our conference it's coming up. We love women that want to just, you know, share their story and want to educate. We're in for all of that. Perfect. And I will link all of those in the show notes so people can find you and connect with you. Dr. Tammy Gracie, thank you again so much for being here on the Rural Woman Podcast. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. And thank you. And keep doing what you're doing and keeping us out there. Have a blessed day. Thanks for listening to the Rural Woman Podcast, a proud member of the Positively Farming Media Podcast Network. The Rural Woman Podcast is more than just a podcast. We are a community. A huge thank you to the Rural Woman Podcast team, audio editor Max Hofer, and admin support from Kim and Co. Online. A special thanks to our Patreon executive producers, Sarah Reedner from Happiness by the Acre and Carrie Munven from Laystone Farms. To learn how you can become a Patreon executive producer or other ways to financially support the show, head on over to wildrosefarmer.com to learn more. Be sure to hit the follow or subscribe button wherever you listen to the podcast to get the latest episodes directly on your playlist. And if you are loving the show, please be sure to leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or any other platform that accepts ratings and reviews. You can connect with us on social media at The Rural Woman Podcast and with me at Wild Rose Farmer. One of the best ways you can support the show is by sharing it. Send this episode to a friend or share on your social media. Let's strengthen and amplify the voices of women in agriculture together. Until next time, my friend, keep sharing your story. This week's episode of the Rural Woman Podcast is brought to you by the patrons of the Rural Woman Podcast. This amazing group of individuals contribute financially to the Rural Woman Podcast to ensure the stories of women in agriculture hit your earbuds each and every week. Want to join them in supporting the stories of women in agriculture while getting access to extended episodes, patron-only episodes, and other great perks? Head on over to wildrosefarmer.com to learn more about how you can become a patron through Patreon.